lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. We are audio only today. We are not recording video. Um, David is an undisclosed location. I can't even see myself. It's a non-fungible David. NFD. He's unique, non-exchangeable. Uh, I've been non-fungible since the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, could you tokenize you, yourself? You are very fungible. Okay? I'm very fungible? Yes, I am not fungible. You're not fungible? You're an NFD? I cannot be replaced. Non-fungible, David. I should, I should uh, trademark that. Can you, can you mint yourself? Well, that's what uh, BitCloud is trying to do. I don't Who? Know if BitCloud. Oh. They're like trying to uh, put like value on people's Twitter accounts. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't seen it. Um, but there's some controversy around it because uh, apparently it's not very uh, secure, and the 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 anyways anyways not not the topic of today. But basically, yes, <laughs> there is a uh, a group called BitClout connecting people's Twitter accounts and uh, basically putting value on everyone's Twitter accounts, and you could bid on it, and you could own. Uh, tokens in someone's Twitter account. If really? You okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Yeah, definitely not the topic for today. Well, we are. Um, we are. Uh, we actually took off uh, last week. Uh, we we're about to record, but it got into uh, the holiday weekend for Easter, so we decided to skip it. Uh, but anyways, we're back on this week, and hopefully next week we'll be back on video as well. Um, but the first um, topic for today is actually we, we will discuss some more crypto latest news and and. Uh, information later in the second half of the podcast but the first half I wanted to uh, get back to a little bit of the uh, online marketing business uh, which is our core um, business here at the agency but one of the things that uh, is, is basically taking effect now more seriously is uh, the infamous iOS 14 um, not allowing Facebook specifically to uh, capture a lot of the audience information which obviously for for a lot of advertisers, including ourselves, um, it, it affects how much you can track actually from people uh, on Facebook as far as creating um, targeting campaigns for them. So just today, actually, I received an email, uh, which actually was announced about two or three days ago, that Facebook is also planning to discontinue uh, Facebook analytics. So uh, Facebook yeah, the analytics, thing with Facebook analytics is they never really... Um they never gave it a full effort, I feel like. Right. They launched it a couple of years ago, and uh, it was like, oh, okay, there's an alternative to Google Analytics. But it was never, ever anywhere close to as good as Google Analytics. And it was just useful for some things, but it looks like now they just decided, ah, screw it, we're done. We're just shutting it down. Right, and that's actually the, the, the sense that most people have. I mean, they, they launched it to just like Google Analytics, you insert the analytics code and it tracks everything that happens on your website and everything uh, as far as, you know, uh, everybody knows analytics in our, in our group or our listeners, but basically gives you a little quick synopsis of what, what kind of things happen on your website traffic, where they come from, referrals, if it's direct, if it's from campaigns, if it's organic, whatever. So Facebook tried to do the same thing with their Pixel. Thanks to their Pixel, they were able to track uh, website visitors and everything else and have their own version of analytics, which unfortunately 
as it happens usually when you have different analytics measuring the same thing, they have different procedures or different methods to me to measure the audience. And when you compared Google Analytics with Facebook Analytics, the, the data didn't match. Um, so just because they they is the issue between tracking sessions versus visitors versus um, you know it, it's just very different how they track the uh, and retargeting and everything else. So um, bottom line is that they they themselves Facebook decided that analytics was not really working as they expected and frankly very few marketers were also using it. They resorted to other tools that were more yeah. effective. So I think the smaller businesses that didn't use other tools that are more like monthly subscription tools or things like that will probably suffer more if they were using that. But actually, I don't think as far as losing data, they will lose much. No. I mean, I pretty much, I use it occasionally. Um, but for the most part, yeah, like Google Analytics and other analytics tools are just much better. Right. I, I, I actually never, I, I think I looked at it in the beginning when it started and then I figured it was very, way, uh, uh, very uh, <clears throat> low entry level version compared to what you get from over analytics. Tools, right. So. In the beginning, it wasn't as good as Google Analytics when they launched it, but I didn't expect it to be as good because right. it was new. But then it was like they never really worked on it. Right. Like, the, the Google Analytics is constantly updating. Updating things, exactly. It has so many advanced features now. Facebook Analytics never really had any And, and the thing with Google Analytics is that it also integrates with a lot of different, I mean, you, you have, when you have a Google Tag Manager, you can integrate a lot of campaigns through analytics and then see some of the information from, from Google Ads, from all the campaigns, and uh, Facebook is very isolated. So it really never worked. And uh, so it, that in addition to the fact that now Facebook will have even less information as far as their own campaigns for the reason that we're discussing as far as the, as, uh, the iOS 14 update. So, but let's get a little more specific about what is it that this iOS 14 update is causing to advertisers. So um, we need to go back to uh, probably mid last year when Apple made the announcement that they were more concerned about their users' privacy and therefore, they will limit all the apps' ability to track um, people without their consent. So they will, before, it was a default that they will allow you to be tracked. And uh, this applied to all the apps, not just Facebook, by the way. And then, uh, unless you specifically went into the settings and all that stuff, which nobody does, and say, no, I do not want to get my information transmitted or anything, then you were tracked. And uh, But now Apple changed and they said, okay, with iOS 14, we were actually, we're going to have to pop up a notice asking people to specifically consent to being tracked for different things. And uh, now you're an app uh, for something else. You know, we always know that uh, Google Maps is tracking us and all that stuff, and, and, and they tell you how far you are from here or from there or things near you uh, that you're driving to work or from work, things like that, and, and that is a little convenient. But few people probably... I mean, Apple tracks the hell out yeah, of you, too. they do, but they you, keep it within their ecosystem. They don't the, share supposedly, it. their thing is we don't sell the data. Right, We exactly. just keep it. They don't use it for They that. use it for themselves, but right. they don't sell it. But, but one of the things that happens, specifically in the case of Facebook, which is where advertisers like us were taking advantage of, is that, for example, you go on your mobile, on your, on your phone, and then visit a website for, let's say, a clothing store or something, then, uh, or any kind of app or anything, then that app may actually 
consent to share that information with Facebook and say, hey, this person was actually shopping here for shoes or whatever on our app, uh, then Facebook may take that information and then um, apply it to target you know, um, the ads for you for that particular store or similar things or things like that, like lookalike audiences and all that. So that's what Apple was trying to avoid. And with the uh, release of iOS 14, they, they gave Facebook and all the app all the apps, um, plenty of notice, and Facebook was trying to fight it, and obviously they didn't. Uh, Apple didn't watch, and um, it ended up being being a fact. So, if you are a marketer for uh, Facebook advertising, you'll be seeing the notices all the time saying, "Hey, starting uh, I think it was April, right, when they implemented it, like now or last March or something, last month." Yeah, it's it's been be, being Faced implemented in. for months, but yeah, it's pretty much fully implemented now right so but now they um they um cannot basically facebook is very limited and they even they even acknowledge that the audience network may lose most of the effectiveness because now they can't really um rely and they're basically telling advertisers yeah we can tell you that you can still see ads and your your audience will still see the ads but we can't really tell you how much we can pinpoint you know, uh, the the accuracy of those ads or how many people or anything else because Apple is hiding that information from us or is not allowing us to share that information. And then in other cases, they're actually making users realize that they were being tracked for advertising purposes and now fewer users will accept or consent to that kind of tracking. Therefore, their pool of uh, information will decrease as well. Right. So um, now... We're talking iOS 14, which is obviously an Apple um, iPhone operating system. It's all Apple devices. All Apple devices, right. Um, but uh, you say, okay, well, that's just Apple people, but where you use an Android phone or something else, and, and it's true. They, they yeah, so far... Yeah, the problem is that, you know, in the U.S., iPhone dominates. So not being able to advertise on iPhone, iPhone is the number one place for mobile shopping basically right um so yeah obviously there are people do buy on desktop and obviously people have other phones but the truth is that the majority of when you're doing instagram advertising it's like the majority of that is on the iphone you mm -hmm. know and so when that's gone it hurts you know in the u.s the majority of mobile devices are iphone devices or apple devices that's true um, outside of the U.S., that actually is not true. Outside of the U.S., Apple is a minority, and majority of them are others. Like uh, in Europe, it's uh, it's not as dominant for right. Apple, um, but Apple still has a significant share in Europe. It does. It varies by country, but they've grown their share a lot in mm -hmm. Europe. The places where yeah, it won't affect are like Asia as much because obviously mm -hmm. they don't have. Uh, nearly as many iPhones over there. But at the same time, I think most advertisers are worried about US and Europe, not uh, right. you know, those other countries. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so, so obviously, Apple is like in the middle because they obviously, they make their own devices and products and, and services and everything. And then on the other side, you have Facebook. Apple's, and you Apple's have doing what, uh, basically, Ben Thompson, who writes Stratechery, he has a great term, which he calls strategy credits mm -hmm. um which is when a company basically makes a stand for something when it doesn't cost them anything but they can benefit from it 
And so that's basically any company where, in this case, Apple. Apple, it's not... Uh, I'm sure they care about privacy, but let's be honest. If Apple was making a fuck ton of money from ads, they wouldn't care about privacy either. It's that Apple doesn't make their money from ads. Apple makes their money from mostly selling hardware and trying to sell services, but they don't make really money from ads other than like some app store stuff. Mm -hmm. But but they don't make a penny of Facebook's advertising or Google and they don't care about them. And they say, hey, we can hurt them and we can make ourselves look good um, because I think a lot of people don't understand the kind of pro versus con argument for this um, because people hear data collection and automatic and Facebook and automatically mm -hmm. think evil. Like even I was listening the other day to um, Joe Rogan talking to somebody else about this and Joe Rogan was saying, oh, I admire Tim Cook for doing this. It's like, well, I think admire is the wrong word. I think <laughs> it's just that Apple doesn't make money advertising, so they don't care about screwing over the digital ad companies. Um, the negative side is that Tons of small businesses and startups use Facebook, right. Instagram advertising. I mean, it's really, yeah. if you're starting out, there's no, when you talk about the democratization of advertising, uh, Facebook has done an amazing job for that. You know, I'm not defending Facebook saying that they've been perfect, that they haven't done bad things, but truly it's the best platform for that. And, and if they, if they take that away, you know, back in the days, if you wanted to advertise and you're a small business, your options are like, what, the classifieds mm -hmm. and that's it. You can't afford to be doing mega billboard campaigns or magazine ads for 25 grand right. or whatever. Or, or even or even uh, Google traditional ad campaigns, search campaigns and all that. The, the thing with Facebook is that they were allowing <clears throat> smaller merchants to really find their niche audience either by geofencing or proximity or their yeah, particular with, product. Facebook had the amazing thing of, yeah, A, the, the geographic. So if you're a mm -hmm. small restaurant or whatever, right. you're like, okay, 15, 20 mile radius. Exactly. But, uh, but even besides that, they obviously have all these interest base mm -hmm. and they have a million different interests you can target people on. Right. Whereas before that There's never the really The social existed. aspect of, of advertising, right. which which the, the Googles of the world didn't have it. But as you said, Apple is like in no man's land as far as advertising because they don't have anything, uh, no, 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 no skin in the game in that sense, or no profit in the game. Whereas Google and Facebook are the two major advertisers followed very closely by Amazon now. So what happens is that obviously Facebook... But basically, Apple... I mean, you, they've done they've done ads. I've seen billboards, commercials, everything about privacy mm -hmm. uh, is on the iPhone. Blah blah blah. So they're trying to position themselves as the privacy uh, device company mm -hmm. because so many people are worried about that. And so part of it is okay. Well, we're going to screw over all the the advertisers because we don't care because we don't make money from advertising anyways. So it's not our problem. Um, and that's what it is. It is a strategy credit. That is exactly what it is. Ben Thompson has the perfect analogy for it. And uh, it's basically saying we can, with no sacrifice to ourselves, make ourselves look good. So let's do it. And basically companies do that stuff all the time. You know, uh, it's like when a company knows that they're exiting. It's like if you, it's like kind of how um, you see a lot of the oil companies now, like, mm -hmm promoting all this pro green efficient right. whatever yeah. and it's like 
Well, that's because they already know they're giving up on certain parts of their business anyways. And so they're basically just taking the, f- the free credit for, oh, yeah, we're transitioning away from this and we're investing in new green energy technologies, even though we're the same oil companies who polluted the world in the first place. Let me ask you something. Do you think Apple has an interest in getting into the uh, <clears throat> search engine business and advertising on their own? Like I've the, heard rumors about there's buying maybe. rumors about a search engine. Like buying DuckDuckGo that is um, also the search yeah. engine that price on privacy and all that. I don't know, honestly. I mean, I. But if you do that, then that you're in the ads business. So right, but they 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 will do the ads in a different way because it's within their their ecosystem, and then without sharing information. Like, like the thing with Facebook is that you think you're interacting just with your friends and family and collections, but then Facebook is covering so much of our information, the lookalike audience and all that stuff. They say all of a sudden you see because somebody that you like or you follow has another friend that he likes or she likes and she follows and she follows and she follows and so forth that down the line, Facebook start matching audiences, which we as advertisers take advantage of. And then we start finding these people out there that look similar to the people that we know. And and that's kind of invading people's privacy, if you will. And you start advertising things to those guys who have no direct connection with you. But if Apple keeps it in a way where they say, okay, well, we know you're going to a search engine and you're looking for this. You might be interested in this, this. Maybe you can still opt out like we do with other things. But if you're looking for, you know, scuba diving gear or whatever to go to your next vacation, we're going to show you some ads for special offers for that particular product. And then you can choose to or to use it or not within their their privacy, you know, ruling, you know. So it's like a little enclosed cocoon where you see advertisers still paying to be there, but it's... Uh, for information that you directly do, not third party, fourth party, and so forth. Yeah, I, I think the search engine thing, um, more than the advertising, because search ads are easy. I mean, search ads are like the most basic type of ads on the internet. It's like one of the first things we had with Google. Right. right. Basically, somebody types in keywords and you bid on them. So I'm sure Apple could create their own uh, ad engine for that pretty easily. They already have an ad engine. They already basically run search ads on the app store anyways. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not anything new for them. But um, no, the hard part is just building a good search engine. Um, and the reason DuckDuckGo has never taken off is because it's just not as good as Google. And I like DuckDuckGo. I've tried using it. There are certain things uh, that it, I think it is better for. But for the most part, Google is just a better search engine. And uh Google keeps getting better, you know, especially with the way Google is separating itself now is they have, they're trying to make it so you basically don't even ever have to click a link that you just stay on a page, anything that's informational, you know, now they have the Wikipedia excerpts, excerpts from different websites, images, diagrams, whatever. Um, So all those things we kind of don't think about because they're just so seamless when you use Google. Mm -hmm. But those were all built in, and Apple would have to build that from scratch. Um, not to mention the actual search algorithm itself, mm-hmm. which uh, Google's is still the best. Because it, it, it's very much a data game, and Google's the biggest search engine in the world by far, so they have all the data. Yeah, you have to imagine if, if Google, I mean, if Microsoft, who, who was big in the searching arena, <clears throat> um, Yahoo's and all those, haven't been able to basically there, There's match. a reason no one else has built a search engine. 
to right. compete with Google because it's really fucking hard. Right. People have tried and, and people have talked about it. Uh, not just big companies, startups and stuff. And it's tough, man. It's it's tough. Obviously, the, 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 the biggest thing is just getting people to switch search engines, which is tough enough, especially if people use Chrome and all this, right? And obviously, Safari defaults to Google. The advantage would be that Apple obviously owns Safari, so they could make whatever browser they, or I'm mm -hmm. sorry, whatever search engine search they engine. want default to Apple. But it needs to be good because the last thing they want is to screw up Safari as a product because they have a shitty search engine built into it. Because mm -hmm. remember, they used to use Bing. Yeah. And then right. they stopped. And right. They went to Google. Mm -hmm. uh, and Google actually pays them. Like Google pays a lot of money, actually. I think it's right. like... I think it's like 500 million a year or something like that. I thought it was, uh, it was I, th I didn't think it was a fixed fee. I thought it was uh, based on uh, traffic or something, but uh, it might be, I don't know. But the thing is that um, uh, even even uh, Chrome and all this, uh, I mean, Google search changing, and frankly, most of them, even Apple too, Safari, they offer you the option now to do like incognito search and stuff for if you always want to be searching something without being tracked, without cookies or anything, you can use that option. Now, sometimes I think we're very, uh, very specific about privacy issues and all that stuff. When really, uh, it's one point five billion a year. Is it okay? Yeah. So Google pays Apple one point five billion dollars to be the default search engine. The default search engine for Safari. Yeah, that's what they're paying right now. Let's okay. See. So it's a fixed fee then. Oh no, hold on. I'm getting different answers from different uh Oh, that they have a new agreement. Okay, then well it's not new, but it, in 2018 Google pay is oh wow, they're paying Google. I'm sorry, Google's paying Apple 9 billion dollars a year. 9 billion yeah. for the use of um uh the default search chain to be um to be Google. To be Google for Safari? Yeah. Wow. They paid $9 billion in 2018 and $12 billion in 2019. Wow. You can imagine. But, I mean, think about it. Think yeah. about how valuable that is. It's worth well, it. Well, it is. Google. That's what I'm saying. That, that tells you the value of advertising because when you go to Google and you search something on Safari, it's because you're looking for something, right. which means gives Google, especially on mobile, a huge advertising option. Keep, to keep in mind, Apple is the most valuable, uh, the iPhone user is the most valuable consumer of right. all the devices. Mm -hmm. You can cause you can even go on Facebook and look at revenue by device, yeah, yeah, yeah. whether it's an iPhone, a Windows computer, an Android, iPhone is number one. And so they're basically paying to have all the Apple user searches mm -hmm. and that's valuable. Um, well, if that, it's almost like when you see uh, networks paying for exclusive rights to a league or something, they obviously see the value of being the exclusive eyeballs for that particular right. game. I mean, frankly, 12, versus the advertising 12 billion, I actually don't even think is a crazy amount, really. Well, not obviously in the U.S., because like you said, the majority of uh, mobile devices are, are if, iPhone. If, if there's 150 million iPhone users in the U.S., and you're basically paying $12 billion a year for all their searches. I'm assuming that will be also for like a desktop. Like, uh, yeah, Max yeah, and it's all this desktop thing. too. Right. But even if it's just iPhone, if you have 150 million iPhone users, I mean, $12 billion a year, I feel like it's not that crazy to have all their searches when you're mm -hmm. monetizing their searches. Yeah. So, so, but all right, that, so that tells you why Apple has the power to create their own search engine. 
because if 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 they know that okay Google's paying us twelve billion a year and obviously they're still making a profit on this, uh, then maybe we should make our own search engine. And they're trying to create their Apple. The only reason Apple would do it is because they're trying to expand their revenue sources beyond just hardware. And that would obviously be a big, you know, they could say, oh, well, we generate 20 billion a year in search ads now that we didn't do before. You know? But I wonder, I mean, the um, when Apple did that with Facebook, well, they did it with all the apps and everything, but Facebook seems the most affected by this new iOS. Yeah, because obviously Facebook's the big ad platform. Google's affected too. Google, but Google already was making their own changes uh, anyways, away from third-party cookies and all that. Mm -hmm. So... That's why it doesn't seem to affect Google as much. But uh, yeah, it affects all apps. Right. So it affects Pinterest and Snapchat and all these too. Mm -hmm. It's just Facebook's obviously the biggest. That's why it's getting the most attention. And Facebook Yeah, but I was, I was thinking more been, like uh, like YouTube or things like that. Yeah, it you affects YouTube, everybody. Every, mm -hmm. every app, it affects every app. It's just that Facebook and Zuckerberg have been actually vocal against it, whereas I don't think anybody else has like really fought back against it. You right. know, like they did the, was the ad, was it New York Times or Wall Street Journal, the full page ad? Right, right. Um, yeah. And uh, Zuckerberg went on, I think he actually went on Clubhouse and was talking about it too. Um, but anyways. Plus, plus uh, ad revenue is pretty much the sole source of revenue for Facebook, whereas Google has many other sources. Even though ad revenue well, is ninety percent, I was going to say for Google it's still mostly ad. Revenue. Yeah, it's the most important one, but they they also have other other sources, and they are super big and super diverse, and they can they Google, can Google maneuver. needs to keep making more money so they can keep burning it on shit that never happens. Yeah, the the uh, the uh, moonshots. All of their the famous Google X like moonshot laboratory well, they, they decreased the budget for that quite a bit well it basically failed they, basically they've, they've, they uh, they pretty much canceled everything in it yeah, yeah the uh famous the um the air balloon yeah thing yeah, canceled yeah. the internet air balloons mm -hmm. obviously the biggest thing was no the fiber the fiber object. yeah the fiber they canceled it was too yeah. expensive mm -hmm. The biggest thing was famously Waymo, which then became its own thing. Right. And Waymo, they've spent tens and tens of billions of dollars, and it's still not. Uh, yeah, they there. decided to be more more practical and say, okay, forget these moonshots, which is only like a throwing money away for some experimental thing that will never work and will never be uh, profitable. Basically, see, yeah, I mean that that makes sense. All right, so just to wrap it up, for so for advertisers, basically means that when you have a typical campaign and you say, okay, I can spend X amount of money every month advertising, and I select my different channels, whether it's like Google in the traditional Google Ads, and then maybe something on YouTube, and then some email marketing, and then you have Facebook social media advertising with Instagram and all that. What that really means is that now your Facebook component will be less accurate you're still going to get the impressions you're still going to get everything that you were getting before but one is going to be less accurate because some people may opt out so facebook is going to have to be guessing a little more which ads they play they place in front of which people and then also as far as the reporting part which is part of the analytics that you just canceled it will not be so accurate so so you will see impressions and click-throughs and everything that you set up on your campaigns, but you will not be able to pinpoint exactly what kind of revenue you got because um, it's not going to be that accurate anymore. So any other um, points of this that you can uh, think of? No, just uh, like always, it, the more you can collect first-party data right. uh, on your customers, emails, phone numbers, things like that, uh, 
the better because then you can control it and own it you know if you right. if you don't own it then um you know you're at the mercy of companies like apple making changes and then screwing you right you it's know, always if, a matter of having control so all right well this is still early to see what their long-term repercussions would be because this just um just started being implemented you know uh like a month ago or so but uh uh, we'll see how it goes and Facebook obviously promises that we'll continue to do as much as they can all that stuff obviously that's the peer work the peer talk but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes alright we're going to switch topics quickly um, to talk a little bit of uh, crypto news um, but um, there was something with um, well basically Uniswap is coming with um, Uniswap 3 right more familiar with that V3 yeah Right. So really, in a nutshell, for our audience that is not really that crypto expert, you know, a more basic level, what is the difference between the current one and the future one? Or what is the, I mean, people are making a big deal of that, but what is the real big deal about Uniswap 3 or version 3? Well, Uniswap, um, it, okay, so Uniswap, basically, for people who don't know, real quick, is just the, it's the largest, uh, Ethereum decentralized exchange. Um, so meaning that basically, uh, if, if any, anybody who transacts in Ethereum these days uh, is using Uniswap to swap between tokens. Um, and they had V2 out for a while, which is um, uh, basically introduced a, f a few different things. Um, but but what, what V3 is doing is that it's, uh, making everything much more efficient. So the there's a thing called liquidity pools uh, in Uniswap. So how it works is you have uh, uh, basically buyers and sellers of a certain um, pair. So say it's like Ethereum and Dai, for example. Um, and so you have this Ethereum Dai pair, and then Dai is supposed to be basically always at a dollar. Right, and then Ethereum is going to be priced in Dai, and Ethereum is going to go up and down. Um, and so you want to have a market for this pool, and so there's buyers and sellers, but there's also what's called uh, liquidity providers. These are basically the uh, in 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 this world you don't have market makers like you do in the stock market, mm -hmm. um, and market makers are just basically people who don't care so much about a stock going up or down. They just make money by providing liquidity. So, for example, if a stock is priced at ten dollars, um, a market maker will may own like ten thousand shares of that stock and say we're willing to sell th these ten thousand shares uh, from ten dollars up to uh, or or up to like ten dollars and five cents, right? And so that means that's why when you go on Robinhood or whatever stock exchange or brokerage you use, basically you have instant liquidity. Unless you're doing like mega mega transactions, you basically click your buy order and it's in, and it's filled out instantly. That's because market makers are providing that liquidity. Well, in in uh, Uniswap, uh, you don't have market makers, so to speak. In fact, it's Uniswap is considered an automate an AMM an automated market maker. Um, and all this, I'm trying to make it very simple for people. I don't want to get too in the trenches. But basically, before, um, when you were providing liquidity for, say, Ethereum DAI, you had to do it for the full price range. So Ethereum, for example, in the last, like, two weeks, uh, it was at, like, 1600 
it went down to like 1400 1300 and now it's gone up as high as like 2100 mm-hmm. and it's around 2000 ish right now at the time of recording well if you're a liquidity provider there uh you pretty much lost a bunch of money because uh uh you're, you you liquidity providers don't want a ton of price movement because they lose money but what you can do what you had to do in v2 is if you're providing liquidity you have to provide liquidity at all those prices so basically whether ethereum is $1300 or $2000 you're still providing liquidity what you can do now is basically set a range. And so you can say, I, if Ethereum was at 1600 when you started providing liquidity, you can say, I only want to provide liquidity from 1550 to 1650 in this range, and that's it. And if it goes beyond that range, I'm not providing liquidity anymore. Um, and they have a whole white paper on their website. People can just look up, go, literally Google Uniswap V3. It's the mm. first thing. And they have a much better explanation than I'm giving here with visuals and everything. It's If, if you don't... It's hard to explain if if you don't understand kind of how liquidity pool works and all this stuff in the first place but, with but V2. More, but to me, more for the average user that is already using Uniswap. So the so the big thing is everything's more efficient for the liquidity pools. And then the other thing is that not yet um, they're on L2, but they're planning. I think they said starting in possibly May or June. Um, running on um, Optimism, which is an L2 protocol, which basically would make the gas fees way cheaper. Um, I think I've read like 40 times cheaper. So like if you're dealing with like $80 gas fees, which is pretty common these days, your fee would be $2 instead, which would be massive. Because one of the biggest things holding back um, Ethereum uh, exchanges right Right. now is is the gas fees. There would be even way more volume if uh if it weren't for the gas fees because lots of uh yield farmers which is a big thing um are staying away from ethereum based yield farming i mean there's plenty of yield farming on ethereum but a lot of people are kind of staying away from it right now because the gas fees are so high and so unless you're doing certain because like imagine if you're day trading right like imagine you're because yield farms are basically uh, arbitrage farms, so to speak. And so, but imagine if you're doing like, like, like I'll, I'll give you an example of what a yield farm is. Say you have USDC, which is Coinbase's coin. And stable coin, yeah. Stable coin and DAI. And both are supposed to be a dollar, right? But they're not always a dollar. They're, they're supposed to be pegged to a dollar, but they fluctuate. A little bit. I mean, Small not, amounts. Yeah. Right. But say DAI moves up to so you have this pair right and you have a pool with these pairs and they're mm-hmm. trying to keep them pegged both at one dollar exactly and say die goes to a dollar two and usdc goes to 98 cents right well if die goes to a dollar two and i own die right i then i can actually sell my die which is really in theory only worth a dollar for a dollar two so I can make that arbitrage back, right? I can make a 2% arbitrage there. And then on the USDC, which is supposed to be worth a dollar, I can buy it for 98 cents and get a discount. And then when it goes back to the peg, I can sell. And so I'm making this arbitrage, right? And that works great if you don't have massive fees. Exactly. But if you're paying, right? So so if you're if, if you're doing this with like a thought, say you're doing a, buying $1,000 worth of die, but then you pay $80 gas fee, it doesn't work. Right. And so the way people get around it is with like Yearn, for example, um, and other other projects, they're just, 
they pool so much money that they can do it with the gas fees, basically. But you'd have to have, I, I've done the math before, and to make it work with um, something like that, you would need to be, like to, to recreate yearn on your own, um, you'd need to have like $15 million or something like that to basically make it worth it to trade on your own. Right. Um, if you were like looking, do I invest in <coughs> yearn or do I do my own arbitrage version? Um, yeah. Well, but that's, you need like $15 million to make it worth it. That's what we're talking the other day too about the, uh, the, uh, decentralized financing as far as, um, lending pools, like you were talking, like, you know, the people that try to find an alternative to savings with, um, a little higher. Right. Yield. And that's another example where, uh, this is different. This is, doesn't have to do with Uniswap, but yeah, like the 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 Aves and compounds, and, compounds and, and all these. If you want to put money in those, like basically, I put some money in Ave, and I basically paid about a hundred dollars in fees. Um, and so you have to do that as a percentage of whatever money you're putting right. in. If I had put in a thousand dollars. Paying a hundred dollars in fees—that's ten percent. Right, and and let's say that you you you're investing or you're basically putting your liquidity pool or your lending pool part in a let's say die, which normally the average yield and it varies whatever is between six seven percent uh, annually. So that means that um, you're already negative because you paid a hundred dollar fee for a one thousand dollar contribution or basically it's just put in, in savings. You know, worse if you add. On the other extreme, like a hundred thousand dollars, then your one hundred is is basically right. Um, but it basically cuts out which, the right. smaller guy who says, "I don't right. have a hundred grand to put in." Exactly. So, so it's yeah. not an alternative for the person that says, "Oh, I'm gonna make my savings automatic," and then instead of putting in a savings account these days on Bank of America, whatever that gives me zero percent interest, basically, I'm gonna put five hundred bucks a month into these liquidity pools and then get seven um, percent yield. You know. But it's not it's not feasible. It's not uh, economically it doesn't make sense because you're putting five hundred bucks, but then you're paying, like you said, thirty five, forty, fifty, sixty dollars in fees, which means that every time you put those five hundred bucks, you're basically taking a huge hit and you'll never recover. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. So it's not working that well in that sense. It's almost better to say, I'm gonna put five hundred bucks saved somewhere and then when I accumulate five thousand then I do all in one shot and put it somewhere else. So <clears throat> being a fixed fee obviously the percentage versus the principal is, is much less. So yeah that's important. The other part that I wanted to clarify because we did discuss the uh the DeFi options um I think it was two or three weeks ago and uh the, the thing that people need to understand and again this is not financial advice, we're not financial advice or anything it's just a disclaimer but uh we're just giving you our opinion is that not all DeFi options are equal. And when you see and compare the Aave with Compound and then maybe you go to Gemini as, as, as an exchange and you say, oh, well, this one is now giving me 7.5% or 8% if I uh, put money into the DAI pool or something. Well, that's because you also have more risk. You know, uh, there's, there's some options like Aave or something that ask the borrowers, which is who you are putting the money for, for collateral that is up to sometimes 1.5 times what they are borrowing, Yeah, uh, which basically means that it's like if you're borrowing, 
in a home equity loan, you're borrowing money against the equity of your house. So if your house is already half paid, then you have good equity to ask for a loan. And the bank that is giving you the loan feels confident that if you don't pay the loan, they, they have equity in your house and they can eventually say, okay, well, I want to take your house. You know, so there's these DeFi institutions that actually ask the borrowers for more collateral to guarantee their loans and there's others that don't and when they don't then you need to be more careful it may sound good but you just need to uh, be more careful with that it's like everything you have to do your own research to make sure that you know what you're investing in i mean i like i i look at ave as like the closest thing to like a DeFi savings account as far as like a high yield savings account. Mm -hmm. um, and they're extremely transparent with exactly the uh, collateral obligations and all of that and exactly right. how the, the interest rate fluctuates and why and exactly basically uh, why the APY is here versus there, the usage rate of the pool, all those things. Um, now, some places are not as transparent. Uh, other places are more risky so maybe you're okay with hey i don't care if this guy has the collateral or not but if he's willing to pay 40 percent interest like these are all things that you have to decide uh, but obviously keep in mind risk and reward tend to be correlated so right right exactly you know if you're it's the same with the yield farms like i look at some yield farms and they have crazy apys um, and maybe sometimes i'm willing to take that risk sometimes i'm not but trust me, if I go into a yield farm that has 200% APY, I'm not stupid. I know that it's no such right. thing as free right. lunch, that something's going on there. Well, exactly. And, and that's what you need to look. I mean, most of these things are transparent, but not fully transparent. I mean, they you need to really, really, in these cases, read the fine print to realize the kind of risk you're getting into. And, uh, you know, uh, an exchange like Gemini is super, super reliable. It's one of the number ones. I mean, it's international exchange and everything. And, and now they start offering this a little higher APY than like the Aves on the compounds, but there is for a reason. They they use the Gemini network to vet their, their borrower's pool and everything else, but they don't always ask him to verify their... Um, collateral or the liquidity basically when they're asking for money which is what the lenders are providing so um, yeah they try to be competitive they try to bring more consumers or more customers with a higher interest rate but sometimes there's a little bit of more more risk now some people are fine with that they say you know right, like like I don't else? use BlockFi I know BlockFi is pretty popular but mm -hmm. I don't use it is for Bitcoin I don't use BlockFi because um, they're not transparent in who they're lending to. And mm -hmm. so they tell you, oh yeah, give us your Bitcoin, which first of all, it's like one of the big things with Bitcoin is that you own it and it's your Bitcoin. When you use BlockFi, you're giving them your Bitcoin. Right. Um, but second of all, uh, you know, they offer you whatever, I think like 7% interest rate around there, which is fine. But then obviously for them to give you seven, let's assume they're making 10, where are you making that 10? And they're not very clear about that. They're not transparent. And I don't like that. And so that's why, mm -hmm. for me, the risk of potentially losing my Bitcoin, which has a huge upside, to get a 7% return extra is not worth it. And so that's right. why I don't like BlockFi. Right. Now, if they came out and were like, okay, this is exactly who we're lending to, and this is basically what we're doing, then I would be more interested. But if they're not going to be transparent with who they're lending to, what their requirements are to give out loans, all those things, then I'm not interested. But because again, like we were just saying a few minutes ago, the, the key for me to to get this 
uh, to get more traction as far as more people considering this as an alternative to savings is the fees to decrease and uh, to, to make it more stable, to make it more predictable and, and less floating, if you will. And we're still kind of uh, far from that. So um, because otherwise the small um, uh, the small saver is never going to be able to play this game. You know, they're not going to be able to put three, four hundred dollars a month when the fees are so high and so unpredictable. So that's basically my, my conclusion to that. So I right, want to wrap it up here. Uh, David, any other uh, comments or anything? No, I think we covered everything. Um, the only other thing was uh, Coinbase filed their uh, S1, oh, yeah. uh, but we can talk about that next week. It was impressive overall, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you and I talked about the stuff. They were pretty uh, pretty profitable. But yeah, let's let's do that. And we also need to do, still discuss the uh, credit cards also, which we said we would, and uh, we haven't done it yet. But um, um, we're still doing some research on the credit card options now with uh, for crypto. So, all right, well, that's it for today. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this uh, audio-only podcast. And uh, maybe next week we'll be back with video if everything is on a schedule back to normal. If not, audio is just as good. Uh, we don't have to put makeup on or anything, so that's kind of fun. Um, and we can make our T-shirts, basically, like we do all the time. So, all right, well, uh, this is it for now. Um, thank you, David. Uh, Non-fungible. Non We've actually been both naked the entire time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> People just didn't know. But Well, that's a pretty sight. Um, yeah, so David, thank you for uh, joining me. I know that you uh, you had a busy schedule and I had to kind of uh, pry you for an hour, 45 minutes or so. Uh, but we'll be, we'll be back next week and uh, look for other episodes either on Spotify, whichever is your favorite uh, podcast network, and we'll always be on YouTube as well. That's it for now. Goodbye and uh, be safe. Bye.